Um, so this morning we're going into the armor of God. We've looked at some things. There's been three things that we've looked at. Let, let's just quickly see what Paul said so far. We've been on a journey. Uh, if you've just arrived, welcome. It doesn't matter. You can catch up. Um, Paul's told us firstly to put on God's strength. Uh, he's told us we're in a spiritual battle. Put on God's strength. He says our battle is against, there, there is a slide for this, Joel. Our battle is against um, the devil, not against people. Uh, we enter daily life wearing God's truth, his righteousness, and his peace. You can see how different this is to normal life, where we put on whatever truth, uh, you know, in normal, normal secular society, you choose your truth. Uh, but in, in, for Christians, it's we put on God's truth. What has God said? We believe his word. He teaches us how to see and what to believe about life. Uh, it's nice to have truth. Then we put on his righteousness, which means that all our own efforts to try and be righteous, to try and be good enough, whether it's for a girlfriend, whether it's for a boss, whether it's for our neighborhood, all of that is extinguished. And God says, put on my righteousness Uh, The righteousness of Jesus, which is imputed to us through faith, uh, put on my righteousness, which means we're accepted by God, we're loved by God, we can stand before God, we can enter into God's presence, which means we no longer have to try and prove ourselves really to anyone, and we can love people genuinely rather than trying to earn people's approval, which is an amazing difference. And then put on His peace, which gives us a real courage to enter life which is full of anxiety and fear and worry and concern, we put on His peace knowing His caring for us, which means we're not at odds with anyone, which means even those who come up against us or make our lives difficult, we don't have to look to make their lives difficult or to be combative against them. Uh, Even toward our enemies, we can think about how could I bring peace to them um, in this situation? Why? Because I have ultimate peace with God that can influence how I interact with others. Um, so it's a peace that goes beyond our circumstances because you will have very many reasons not to have peace in this life, but God gives us one reason to have peace in all circumstances, um, and that's because He's made peace with us. So this is where Paul has taken us to, and he says, these are things we wear every day. Truth is like our underpants. Righteousness is like a breastplate. of. of he says a belt, but uh, not everyone wears a belt, so let's just call it undies because the hope is more of you wear those. Uh, breastplate of righteousness and, and his peace um, that we wear. These are things you just wear every single day. And then he says, take up. Um, and now we're going to look at what we take up. And the first thing we're going to look at is the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith. And if you listen to the podcast, we spoke a little bit this week about how the shield is actually made and how it extinguishes um, the flaming darts. I'm not going to preach about this, but I'll just tell you for those who missed it, that uh, it, were, it, it would kind of be this wooden door that's about four feet high, two feet wide, uh, covered in leather that's dipped in water, uh, very heavy, um, very strong, and obviously the flaming darts, as they hit the wet leather, get extinguished. So even if the aim's right, as they, they hit you, the, the Roman soldiers, the, the, uh, the lit darts, the flame goes out. Um, so Paul goes, put on, take up the shield of faith so that you can extinguish the flaming darts of the enemy. So the enemy has some serious tactics, but God has some serious defense. Um, all right, so this morning I want to answer uh, five questions. Uh, the first one is, is faith just a happy fantasy? Secondly, what if our faith is weak? Thirdly, how did Paul understand the shield of faith? And uh, fourthly, what has God promised 
And lastly, what about when I don't believe or don't have faith? Number one, is faith just a happy fantasy? Uh, we have a dear friend, and, and you probably have a dear friend, and you may be someone, if you're curious about Jesus, who said, who said something like this. I love your faith and what you believe in. I can see how it helps you. I wished I was raised to believe what you believe, but I wasn't, so I can't. Um, have you ever heard that? Someone... So we've got to... This is quite a normal thing to say. I wasn't raised a Christian, so I can't believe what you believe. Faith cannot remain in the category of Santa Claus or Cupid or the Easter Bunny or the Tooth Fairy. I hope you realize that's who they are. Um, Faith can't... We show that picture of the Tooth Fairy so that our kids no longer ask for money from the Tooth Fairy. We can't have faith stay in the realm of what are some fantastical ideas that we can create in our minds to make difficult situations happy. I lost a tooth. It's okay. You can get money, right? Um, and so we have this God who's like in all bad situations, he just makes everything magically better. He's, he's like a genie, which you can kind of turn towards in difficult times, and he kind of soothes you. But is he real? doesn't really matter. I've heard Christians say, and I believe they're Christians, Christians say, I do believe in God, but even if I'm wrong, it doesn't matter, I end up living a great life. If you are wrong and you do not end up living a great life, that would be a complete lie. Um, And so we can't leave Christianity in this. This cannot be what faith is. That faith is a fantasy in the imaginary that makes life feel better. That can't be what faith is. And it can't be that you have to be raised to believe in order to believe. Faith is something completely else. So faith is something. It's faith in something. Faith is not a synonym of make-believe. Faith is not pretending that something exists that doesn't exist. Faith is something concrete. It's uh, It's belief in something promised. Faith is the belief in something that is real. It's the belief in the ultimate reality. To not believe is the belief in an alternate reality. Everyone's experiencing faith, and you either believe the faith of that, that you either believe God's word or you believe your own or someone else's word. But we're all experiencing faith. Paul wrote, if in Christ we have hope in this only, in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. This is how Eugene Peterson writes. Uh, the, the message translation, I, I quite like it. If corpses can't be raised, then, G, then Christ wasn't, because he was indeed dead. And if Christ weren't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark and lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection because they're already in the graves. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. The truth is that Christ has been raised the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. Uh, That's Eugene Peterson's translation, a paraphrase of of what Paul's saying over here. It's not enough to go, I'm going to believe in God, if nothing else, if it's not true, it's okay, I lived a good life. Paul says, no, if it's not true, you are to be pitied. Who are people we pity? We don't we, we don't often pity people we look up to or esteem or are living a life we wish we could have. Paul says, we of all people, of all people, the most pitiful 
if Christ was not raised from the dead, and if faith in God is not real, if God is not real, then we are more pitiful than everyone who's ever lived. That's how sure Paul is about this. So faith is not a tool that we use um, with our imaginations to get through the difficult seasons of life so that we have kind of believe, belief in a happy ending, a fairy tale. Faith is the belief in what is most real, which is God and His promises. Have I gotten louder? Okay. If I can go not louder, Phil, because I'm going to start yelling probably. Um, no, not yelling, sorry, just talking loudly. Thanks, Phil. Um, Jesus said, everything you know in life can pass away, except God's Word. Every single thing you know to be true can be untrue. Everything you know to be reliable can become unreliable. Everything you know to be fixed can become unfixed, can become unstuck, can become... Everything you know to exist can become non-existent, except God's Word. The only thing that can never change is God's Word. God and His promises is what we put our faith in. So faith, to answer the question, is faith just a happy fantasy? Jesus and Paul would say, no, God and His promises are what we put our faith in. God's Word is the ultimate reality. If you don't know what to believe, if you don't understand life, if you can't explain, explain what's going on, we turn to God's Word for our understanding and for our insight and to learn uh, what we can believe about it. What if our faith is weak? Question number two. How would you describe your faith? Here's, here's a couple of pictures. Would you describe it as the Incredible Hulk or Dr. Bruce Banner? who looks a little bit scared, would you describe it as Sherlock Holmes? It can see through corners, it's decisive, it, it, can, you know, it, it, it goes beyond what is noticeable to other people, or as Homer Simpson, which is a little bit uh, lacking in nuance. <laughs> if you had to picture your faith, how would your faith be pictured? What would the caricature of your faith be? It's not too important to get to the answer of that um, because the point I want to make is the quality of your faith is not the source of the power of your faith. Whether your faith looks like Bruce Banner or, or the Incredible Hulk, whether your faith is like Sherlock Holmes uh, or like uh, lacking nuance Homer Simpson, that is not the source of the power of your faith. The power of your faith doesn't come from your faith. The power of your faith comes from uh, the object of your faith. Let me give you an example. Uh, The Eagles footy team this last year was objectively bad. I I, I like the Eagles, they're my team. They were objectively bad. Everyone could see it. But some people believed they had a chance. Some people hoped in them believed in them, trusted for them, and may have even put a few bets down on the Eagles, seeing the odds and thinking, well, we're going to take it this year anyway. Collingwood was objectively good to everyone. Anyone but Collingwood. ABC. As much as you dislike them, and I dislike them, like everyone else, except if you're a Collingwood fan, we could all see the writing was on the wall. It's going to be a tough year for all of us because they're winning. And they did. 
It wasn't even, it was like their destiny. No one had a chance. And we all could see that. Faith over here, if faith is the quality of, if, if the power of faith is the quality of your faith, then you can put your faith in the eagles and you can will them to win because of the quality of your faith. You can have so much belief in them winning that you can cause them to will through, win through your belief. Or, if, faith, if the power of faith comes from the object of your faith, then trusting that the Collingwood football team will win isn't based on how much you will it, it's based on the character and nature and skill of the Collingwood football team. The power of your faith comes from the goodness of this footy team. Do, do, do you see what I'm trying to show you? When we think that the quality of our faith determines kind of outcomes, and then we start to believe that um, we can speak things, we, we must speak things into being, or some things didn't happen because we didn't believe hard enough, or we didn't trust hard enough, or something bad happened because I wasn't uh, trusting God enough. And who's at the center of that solution or that problem? You. you. Me. And that's not the design of, of faith. Yeah. The design of faith is that we save through faith in Christ alone. Yeah. The design is to look away from ourselves and to look for God. So how, how would He save us by causing us to look to Him? Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions. You were raised to Christ. By faith you have been saved. How can a dead person save themselves? They cannot. You've been saved through faith. Look to Christ. But now that you've been saved, look to yourself for the rest of your life. It's nonsense. Now that you've been saved, continue to look to God. For all life you want to experience, look to God. So Paul writes, What can be known about God is plain to all because God has shown it to us. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So we all are without an excuse. Romans 1.19-20. Paul saying, Yeah, the Collingwood football team is a good footy team. Everyone can see it. You want to see something even clearer than that? Look at creation. Look at everything. And you can see the attributes of God, His glory, His nature, His character. The sun comes up and the sun goes down. The seasons come and the seasons go. The goodness of God over all creation. Just look at what He's made and you will see something about Him. And He says, we're all without an excuse. I can't believe in God. I haven't seen Him. Have you ever seen a sunrise? Have you ever seen a sunset? Paul says, you're without an excuse. This wonderful creator has displayed his glory and power and character all over. You trust him without knowing it. Every single time you jump to celebrate something, you are trusting him. What are you trusting? That his law of gravity will pull you down. If you didn't trust his character and nature, you would never leave the ground. You would walk around like this. Why don't you lift your feet? I don't trust God. I'm not sure He's reliable. Why do you walk like this not thinking about it? Because fundamentally, you know that God is reliable, that He's, that, that he's faithful, that he, the laws of nature are there and will not change. You can jump. You can sing. You can dance. You can play. So Paul says, the evidence of God's right there is good. As, as much as you can see the Collingwood football team is good, you can see that God is better. 
You can see that God is greater. You can see that God wins. You can see that God is glorious. You can see that God's kindness to all people. So the power of faith comes from the object of your faith. The object of the Christian's faith is God, His character, nature, and promises, and power. That's what we believe in. And what is this based on? God's word, God's promises, God's reputation. He is faithful to do all He said we do. So the object of our faith is God. We believe in the goodness and reliability of God. What's that based on? God's word, God's reputation, God's promises. It's wrong to say to someone in terms of their faith, you need to be faithful to God. It's right to say to someone, you need to believe that God is faithful to you. Someone says, I'm struggling. You say, Dixon, you just have to believe more. Mark, how do I know that God's going to take care of my family? You just have to trust Him better, Dixon. That would be wrong. Where am I putting the focus? I'm I'm putting a load on his back. What can I say to him? Dixon, you have to be sure that God is faithful. And God said he will take care of you and your family. God said he'll look after you. God said you could trust him. That's all. you You have to be sure that God is faithful. Third question. To be sure that we're on the right track, how did Paul understand the shield of faith? Not just from, you know, he's tied to a Roman soldier, not just from a Roman soldier's shield and thinking, oh yeah, this is pretty clever, you know, extinguish darts and shields and we can use that. But listen to, Paul didn't have the New Testament, you know, Paul's Bible is the Old Testament. So often, you know, for us, we think about the New Testament and that's often almost the most of what we think about in the Scriptures, and that's great. But when Paul's thinking about the Scriptures, when Jesus is thinking about the Scriptures, he's thinking about the Old Testament. So it's a good thing to know what the Old Testament says as God's Word. Listen to what Paul says, sorry, listen to what Paul would have known as a Jewish student about a shield. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Genesis 15 verse 1. Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. He is a shield to those who take refuge. Sorry. Uh, Yeah, sorry. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to Him. For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. What do you suppose Paul understands about a shield from his Bible? Is, is, when he's talking about the shield of faith is, faith, is is faith, is the quality of his faith found in him? 
the quality of the, the, the or what's the, the, the power of his faith is found in? In God. God is his shield. That's how Paul would understand it, that the Lord is our shield. We're not putting our faith in uh, how, how long can I hold the shield. Maybe I can work out a little bit and so I can carry faith a bit longer. Maybe I can get stronger and I'll be like the Hulk and then I'll be like a Christian known as uh, a faith bearer because I'll never have to put the sword down because I'll be so fit and strong and mighty. What, who is that about again? You. The question is, don't get to know your strength. Get to know your shield. Walk around it. Look at it. Be amazed by it. And when a fiery dart comes, don't think about, can I carry it? (laughs) Miss me. (laughs) Run to him. Duck into him. Dive into him. Hide in him. Take cover in him. The question is never, can you pick him up? The question is never, did you remember him? The question is always, can you be found in him? Can you hide in him? Can you trust him? Is he faithful? Is he reliable? Yes, yes, yes. The one way of looking puts so much pressure on us. The other way of looking brings so much comfort in difficulty knowing I don't understand, but I know I can hide behind the shield who is my God. Sorry, God is not four foot by two foot covered in leather, to be clear. Faith is the means or tool that we use to turn towards God for his protection. Paul says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is trusting God. When things are going badly and life gets out of control and we experience suffering, anxiety, fears, worries, sickness. There's many things we experience that we can't explain. There's many things that are hard. They sit upon our hearts. They're burdens. They they feel as if they may crush us. They cause incredible questions. Why, God? Why have you allowed this? I know Nas and I have asked questions that we'll never understand. Those, faith is the vehicle that turns us in those moments to say, but the Lord is my shield. But it's in Him I trust. He is good. He is reliable. He is faithful. These things I don't get, but He is good. Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles, just, be, just, when Paul, just bear in mind, Paul was imprisoned many times, beaten, beaten to death and raised back to life, spat on. Well, I mean, that's as Paul writes it, you know, he always under, he's knocked out with stones and flung out of a city and somehow continues. Uh, Shipwrecked. Light and momentary troubles. Have you been stoned to near death and required, you know, no one can help you but God raising you back to to, uh, healing? Have you been imprisoned and persecuted? Some have, I haven't. Maybe you have. Light and momentary troubles. 
it's not that he experienced light and momentary circumstances. He experienced incredibly difficult and heavy circumstances. But from his position, they were light and momentary. From what he viewed in terms of who God is and what God will do, it was light and momentary. Why are those suffering circumstances not light and momentary? For me, because I get caught up in them. So they seem big, God seems small. They are very real, and God does, seems very not real. And faith is the vehicle that helps you to push back to the reality of God so that the circumstances which are so difficult can find their appropriate place, which is these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. In other words, God can use these things for His glory. I'm not sure how. It's just perspective. And let me say this. If you never find Paul's perspective, if you're never able to be lifted up and looking down upon the light and momentary troubles, if you are stuck in these things and they always seem huge and that's where your life in this life ends, let me tell you, God is still faithful and you will be raised to life and you will be able to look back and go, oh, there were only light and momentary troubles. And there will be no sorrow, no weeping. Again, it's not on you getting there. But faith is the vehicle, the invitation to trust God, to somehow be lifted outside, over, above, and see the goodness of God in the difficulties and struggles. But fear not if you struggle there. Paul says we, we therefore walk by faith. Not by sight, not by our understanding. We walk by faith. We walk by trusting God, not how we understand things to be. So we're able to look beyond our circumstances. Paul says, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. Hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. You could stop there and say, if you want to see eternity, you better hold unswervingly to the hope you profess. Do you see the, the pressure that comes on us if that's where Paul ended? But no, it, it's, we can hold unswervingly. Why can we hold unswervingly? What encourages us to hold unswervingly? Because he who promised is faithful. You can cling on because you are guaranteed to get where he's taking you because he is faithful. Not, not because of your, your great clinging. Sorry, in my mind, I'm imagining driving to a destination. I'm holding a steering wheel. Just for all of you who are wondering, what is this? Is, does Mark not know how to like box and stuff? Pew, pew, pew. I don't, but this is a steering wheel. We hold unswervingly. I don't know where I'm going. I don't understand this. This journey's freaking me out. But I can keep holding on because he is faithful and he's taking us somewhere. What has God promised? Question number four, I think. Are you anxious about the future? I get anxious about the future. He says, We have hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. No matter how this life goes, if your hope is in Jesus, there's a promise of eternal life. Have a crack at it. Have a crack at this life. Go for it. Glorify God. Do your best. Are you anxious about, about things, stuff? I get anxious about stuff. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, 
and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, not, uh, are you not of more value than they? If God, cl- God clothes um, the lilies, the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not, not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, do not be anxious. Your heavenly Father knows you need them all. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. See what Jesus is saying there? You of little faith. Faith in what? Faith that you can trust God. Not faith. Grass would be evergreen if it would just have more faith. No, God's, God's good. All, these, all of these pictures I'm giving you so that you can have stronger faith. Not little faith. You can have great faith. Great faith in what? In the faithfulness of God. Tough times and suffering. Have you experienced those? To be fair, I haven't experienced great suffering. But I know many people who have and who are. And I reckon the older you get, you're guaranteed not to escape tough times and suffering. Paul says all things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. And that in all things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, listen to Paul, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that can separate us. You know, these flaming darts... Not one of them can penetrate. There's not a tactic, there's not a power, there's not a situation that can separate you from the love of God. Paul's talking about it for eternity, not just today. For all eternity, and including in your suffering, you cannot be separated from the love of God. Even when you cry out, and I've cried out, God, where are you? I thought you loved me. This doesn't feel like love. Even then, you are not separated I'm not separated from the love of God. He's still working out His goodness. I just don't get it. But I can trust Him. What about when temptation is bashing your door down? Paul writes, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Can you imagine Paul say, So be faithful. How could you say that? No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. Come on, Corinthians, come on. King's crosses, ites. What's wrong with you? You're not experiencing something everyone else, like, you're not experiencing something unique. So be faithful. Come on. Paul says, hey, you'll, you'll never experience a temptation that's not common to man. God will ensure of that. But God is faithful. That's what you can trust. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you be, may, may be able to endure it. What do you suppose the way to escape may be? So I think someone said it. Him. He is the way to escape. Yes, there's some practical ways you can trust God. Like Paul says, flee temptation. You can go, I'm trusting God and I'm running. I'm escaping. There are some practical ways to escape but he is faithful he will not let you be tempted without uh, beyond what you can bear in other words there will never be anything that can get through the shield 
So go and hide in it. Go and flee to it. Go and run to it. If you stand on your own strength, you're going to stumble. When you stumble, get up and run to him. If you can't get up and run because you stumbled so hard, roll behind the shield. Somehow get back to the shield. Get back into him. Hide in him. Find his love and his comfort. Don't lie on the battlefield hoping to survive. What about when you feel alone? I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. You know that that's said in Hebrews in the context of money. What a weird thing to say about money. It's like, don't, don't, you can't serve God and money. Don't, don't like worry about money. Be content with what you have. I'll never leave you. In other words, there's a great understanding that the reason you might be worried, the reason you might lack contentment is that you're not sure God's going to take care of you. That's the Genesis lie again. Did God really say? Can you really trust him? And our answer is, yes, God said, it's his word, so yes, I can trust him, so I I can be content in all situations. I don't have to chase after wealth or security or whatever else. So faith is the vehicle that turns us towards God for his power as well. The enemy comes and says, you can't stop. You know you're going to do it anyway. You know you want this. If you were offered God's life or a billion dollars, you know you'd take the billion dollars. But you can speak back to the devil with faith and go, no, I, I choose to trust God. Maybe I do want what he doesn't want for me, but I can still choose to trust him instead. I love the way Keller used to say that. You know, we don't always want what God wants for us, but we can pray, God, help me to want to want what you have for me. God, if I'm honest, oh, what the enemy is offering seems pretty good. But more than that, I know I can trust you and that you are ultimately good. That's okay. God's okay with that. Would you be okay if you had a kid and they went, you know, you said, hey, uh, they said, for Christmas, I would like a brand new blah, blah, blah. And you say, "Mm, no, Johnny, um, we definitely won't be getting that for you, and we don't think that's best for you. They may go, well, I still want it, but I trust you, and that's okay. That would be fine. As a parent, you'd be like, boom. I wish I could get into their heart and change it a little bit, but boom. God the Father is, is way more loving and like that, and then through the journey he can still get into our hearts as well. (laughs) Faith is the vehicle that turns us to God's power. So um, John writes, little children, you are from God and have overcome uh, them for uh, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. God gives you power to overcome. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can stand against us? The psalmist wrote, Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call this, I know that God is for me. As I wrote, Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. 
Fear not, for I am with you, but uh, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous hand. God promises that those who are in Him, through faith in Christ, that He's on our side. We're not fighting against other people, but in the spiritual battle, as we try to move forward, there's nothing that can come your way. That you can't say, I can get through this difficulty because God is on my side. You can always say that. You can even say, I don't know how I'll get through this, but God is on my side. So we will. Last question. What about when you don't believe? There's a man who had a son who was sick with a, a... evil spirit, the scriptures tell us. I think today we'd, we'd probably diagnose it as something, potentially. And uh, what would happen is he'd, th- he'd be thrown to the floor and he'd, his mouth would be frothing and he could be injured. And he comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, heal my son. That's a place of faith. He's turning to God. He's realizing I can't do it alone. You can do it. He's standing. He's coming to the shield and he's standing in the shade of Jesus and saying, can you please heal my son? And Jesus says, I'll heal him. Uh, You know, it's not impossible. Anything can be done. You just need faith. You just need to trust God. You just need to believe that God can do this. And the man says these most wonderful words, which each of us hopefully can say at some point in our life. He says, I believe but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. What, what happens, uh, for those of you, what about when you, you don't believe, when you struggle? Well, we can turn to God and we can ask God to help our unbelief. We still turn to God. The, God, the answer is still not us. You just have to believe. Believe. I have doubts. Oh, don't be silly. Yeah, um, you know, let's just logically reason this out. God makes way more sense than anything else. Just trust Him. No, I, I'm really struggling. I don't Turn to Him. I, I was a pastor in L.A., and I remember this crisis. I went to, I was one of the, there were eight of us pastors in a church, and, and uh, I went to our boss, the lead pastor of the church, and said to him, um, I'm not sure what I believe about God. I'm having a problem. And I'm not sure, therefore, what I believe about the church. If I don't think God exists, then I don't think the church should exist, and then I think I should be out of a job. And I thought I was going to get fired, because I was a pastor, right? (laughs) And he goes, that's wonderful. Like, what? How is that wonderful? It doesn't feel wonderful. It doesn't sound wonderful. How is that wonderful? God God has you on a journey. He's teaching you to have faith. Okay. What should I do? So just go on the journey. I'm like, okay. So trust my boss. Start reading the Bible more, I guess. What am I going to do? I don't believe anything. Let me just open the Bible and carry on reading it. Read through Acts. Got to the end of it. Took about two years not to get through Acts, but the journey. Took about two years of reading and praying and crying and going to work thinking, you know, imagine you were a doctor and you didn't believe you could heal any disease and every day you went back to the hospital. You'd be like, man, this is a weird job. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, 
got to the end of Acts, by the, two years later in the end of Acts, I was able to close the Bible and go back, report to my boss and say, there's a lot of questions I still have for God. But there's two things I know to be true. God exists and the church is the most meaningful thing in this world. Everything else I'm not sure about. <laughs> when we don't believe, we turn to God in prayer. Prayer is how we strengthen our faith in God. It's God who's faithful. It's God who enables. It's God who empowers. And therefore, even when we doubt, it's God we turn to and say, help my unbelief. Teach me. And Jesus taught us this prayer, which I've changed, which I'm going to read to you. It's the prayer from Matthew 6, um, our daily prayer. But just to try and understand it in context of the shield of faith, I don't think I've changed the meaning of it. If I have, you can just ignore what I'm saying. Our Father, you are above all situations, and you are higher and greater than anything. We turn to you to praise you above all. We want your kingdom to come in our lives and your will to be done in our lives. You know what we need to stand today, and so we trust you for it. Let your mercy fueled forgiveness shield us from evil darts of shame and guilt and condemnation or indifference. And help us to be like a shield of forgiveness around those who owe us something, whether it be an apology or money or a warm hug or an acknowledgement of our efforts to care for them. Shield us from the fiery darts of temptation and ambition and lies and false promises so that the enemy will not land a single arrow of evil in our hearts or minds. To summarize, faith is believing God's promises and standing in His power through prayer. And prayer is simply saying, I don't know, but He does, and He will come to my help.